five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello, space enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast where we investigate all the exciting ways in which people participate in the new space economy by conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, investors, and other members of the space family. My name is Raphael Rotkin, and I'm an investor in and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics a satellite bus manufacturer and mission integrator. Their satellite technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation for various purposes, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University, or ISU, which is also our partner in this podcast. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide, ranging from executive courses lasting a few days all the way to a one-year master's. Check them out at isunet.edu. Hey, space enthusiasts. This is one of two episodes in a holiday doubleheader. Both episodes hopefully may provide you with gift ideas. On this one, I'm joined by Louis de Guignol-Matignon, with whom I actually attended ISU, the International Space University. His startup Toucan Space can fly personal objects to the International Space Station, like postcards, or that special piece of jewelry you want to give to somebody and tell them it's been to the ISS. Louis also just finished his PhD in space law. Please enjoy my conversation with Louis. Hi, space enthusiasts. It's time for another episode of the Space Business Podcast. I'm joined today by my ISU colleague, Louis de Guignol-Matignon. Louis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Raphael. Very happy to be here. Louis, where are you joining us from today? Well, I am actually calling you from the southwest of France, from a small town called Osogo by the ocean. It's a really a famous place now because lots of surfers there. So it's a bit like a little Florida in the southwest of France. And uh, we have a nice sunny day. And the problem is, uh, we, I don't know if you've heard, uh, Raphael, but uh, in France, we're locked down again. So not much yep. activity is going on here. But, uh, you know, we're trying to do our best. Good luck uh, to all of you with that. It's actually funny. The episode right before you is with Nicolas Gohm from uh, Space Cargo Unlimited. And he also told me that he is from the southwest uh, of France <laughs> on, the, on the sea as well. So this region seems to produce uh, good space entrepreneurs, I guess. <laughs> but Louis, Louis um, why don't you tell us about your current space startup, which I believe is uh, Toucan Space, and give us the elevator pitch, please. Yes, well, thank you very much, Raphael, for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you again. I'm a regular listener of the podcast. Uh, I've been listening to uh, all the episodes since the beginning. I've uh, liked especially the one on Dawn Aerospace, and uh, when they were talking about, uh, you know, like uh, new medicine and uh, like, uh, you know, how we could do like a really superstructure yep. in outer space, but thanks to uh, the microgravity environment. So I thought that was pretty cool. So to sum up the situation concerning Tucan Space, uh, as you mentioned, well, first of all, so I'm Louis de Guillaume-Matignon. I'm 29 years old, and I've just uh, finished a PhD 
in space law. So I've been working on that. And uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, and uh, I'll be more than happy to talk uh, with you about that subject. But the main topic uh, on which we're going to talk about today, I guess, is Tucan Space. Tucan Space is basically a French new space startup company which aims at enabling people to send any personal object to outer space and have them return back to them once the mission is finished. So basically, the idea with Token Space is that you can send a postcard, a photo, or any small personal objects to outer space. We basically offer two different destinations. We offer suborbital flights. Usually, we'll be flying with uh, American-sounding rockets from uh, Spaceport America. We are also offering uh, suborbital flights uh, from Sweden. And we might also, in the upcoming future, propose suborbital flights from Japan. And we also, and that's quite the exciting uh, aspect of a company, we also propose that you can send objects to the ISS and have them delivered back home once the mission is finished. So basically, you can ask for with token space to send any object you want. And one of the destinations, I believe the coolest destination, is you can send your stuff to the ISS. So basically, our payload is integrated into the Falcon 9 inside the Dragon capsule. The capsule is flying to the ISS. The capsule is staying one month to the ISS inside the ISS. So basically, all your objects, your stuff will be flying with the ISS for a month. So it will circle the Earth like 15 to 16 times a day, etc., etc., flying at about 28,000 kilometers per hour. And once the mission is finished, the capsule splashes down in the Atlantic Ocean and NASA sends us back our items. So Tukin Space is basically a company for space lovers. If you've ever dreamt of having a postcard that has flown to outer space, if you have someone you like very much and you want to send the person's picture in outer space, you can do it now thanks to Tukin Space. And for example, if you want to send, uh, I don't know, any jewelry or rings or anything that really like touches you, you can do it now thanks to Tukin Space. I was, I was actually thinking about a jewelry. I was like, oh, I guess maybe people... May want to send like a wedding band or an engagement ring and that's right uh, use, that, <laughs> use that to ask you know somebody in the in marriage it would be kind of cool but it's actually looked at your website before this and i saw you have some items which have already flown on space but it's interesting you say you could actually it's not limited to those items that you chose presumably you can actually choose it seems whatever you want as long as you get i guess as it's of a reasonable size what are some of the requests you've gotten and is there something really funny or strange yeah actually what quite a, a few strange like uh you know um questions for example someone wanted to send uh that's not really strange though but a bottle of wine i don't know why but we talked about nicola gum i know he's done that kind of stuff but many people, many winemakers in France are actually trying to send, uh, you know, a bottle of wine on the ISS or a bottle of uh, any alcohol. I know there's a history about that. I had heard a podcast, I believe it was like last year. I forgot who did it, but the guy was talking about, you know, that uh, brewery that was sending like a beer and like uh, um, a whiskey or scotch, I forgot, on the ISS. There's a lot of people asking to send alcohol in space. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe because it's, you know, a little like, you know, special or whatever, or because you can keep the bottle or send it again on, you know, on any websites and like make auctionary. I don't know. But many people ask us to in space to send alcohol. We had also some people working in the French space agency, the CNES, the Centre National des Etudes Spatiales, who asked us if we could send the pictures of the people working there. So uh, they were basically uh, sending us a big picture with all their faces on it. And the idea would be to actually make that picture fly and have it delivered back home to them in Toulouse, in the CNES Center in Toulouse. So we have a few people asking for that kind of stuff. We also had, but we're not doing that because, um, and I'll be going on more about that later, but, you know, NASA asks us so many documents 
and it's taking so much time to you know have the right uh, to go on the ISS. But some people asked us if they could fly like the American company Celestis is doing, you know, like small remains of people, ashes, the ashes of the people. That's the yes, that's the word. There so, was well, a company in the in the US actually doing that as well. I forgot the name, but uh, yes, there seemed to have been some some demand for this. Yeah, it's a Celestis company. We actually uh, are in contact with them since uh, we might be uh, flying on a, a, shide, a ride share with them uh, on the piggyback, let's say. We might be riding with them uh, in the upcoming months. They have a flight uh, scheduled from Spaceport America, I believe, and we might be flying with them. We will be sending for that mission only postcards uh, because there are, there are many restrictions anyway. But uh, so, yes, we have a few asks. And um, what we've realized with the team, so basically we're right now a team of five people working for Tucan Space. I'm the CEO and uh, I've got one of my best friends with uh, Sebastian who is working on all the integration aspects and all. And with the people we're working, we actually have come to the realization that what people wanted, especially in France, was that we could organize some kind of events around outer space. So basically we came to the realization that with Tucan Space, you can have actually two products. We can either sell stuff that goes to outer space, like, you know, jewelry, like postcards or pictures, photos, whatever you want. But we also can organize events with space people and with people that are passionate about outer space. And the latest events we're organizing is called Space Arts. Well, basically, Space Arts is a, an event that will gather the work of 100 artists, people that do, you know, like cartoonists, like designers, illustrators, painters, etc., etc. And the idea would, would be to take all the piece of art, all the piece of work of all those artists, send it to space, then have it come back on Earth, and then make an exhibition around that work of art. So basically with Token Space, you can either send, you know, photos, any postcards you want or any small personal objects or do events. And what we're realizing with the team, we're, we're working with a team of five people at the moment, is that events, they, the people really like events. That's, that's the, the main point. Let me just ask you, um, just to clarify, the, the items you sent to the ISS, did you say they stay on board the capsule or do you actually pass inside the ISS. That, that's a really good question. Thanks, Raphael. We had a, a long negotiation with uh, NASA, and um, basically uh, at, the, at the beginning, the idea would, was to for the for for the astronauts to actually take the objects, put them in the cupola, and take pictures of the objects. The problem is, you know, that the ISS is open to commercial propositions and commercial activities since basically uh, summer to 2019. Uh, yeah. There's been an act that has been issued by Jim Bridenstine and NASA. Uh, the idea would be to actually make the ISS open for commercial business. And it is, yeah. I'm going to come back a little on the, on the history of that. You know that actually business in space is not something new. I don't know if you've heard, but in the 2000s, Pizza Hut had actually made a contract with the Mir space station and with Roscosmos to send pizzas uh, in outer space. Had you heard of that? Yeah, there was actually more sort of commercial space activity even in the past. I agree with you that most people will be aware of. I mean, on the space tourism side as well, I, a lot of people may not know that. there were. Now everybody's talking about Tom Cruise, but many people do not know that you know, back again around the same time you're mentioning, there were plans to basically fly uh, Lance Bass from and sink up to the space station. But yeah, there's a few examples like that. There are a few examples. And the recent one is Estée Lauder, uh, who flew, I believe. Uh, I don't know if the mission is completed yet, but they should have fly uh, quite recently, I believe. And uh, I've gotten uh, something quite funny to tell you about that. 
but actually the uh, Estée Lauder campaign is actually making problem. And yesterday I had a chat with my contact at NASA who told me that the Estée Lauder product and the Estée Lauder campaign had made quite a, a bad noise at the Congress, at the US Congress, in the US Congress. Basically now at NASA, uh, because of the new president and because uh, uh, Jim Brandenstein might leave NASA and uh, make place to someone else, there might be issues concerning commercial and, you know, like ads in the ISS. So uh, maybe Tucan Space uh, is going to have problem in the upcoming future with missions to the ISS because of that, because the more and more people in the U.S., especially in the Congress, uh, are asking for, for, for commercial uh, ads and commercial activities maybe to, to calm down a little in the ISS. But anyway, I was telling you about the, the idea to, to, to actually send stuff to the ISS. In the ISS, we cannot take pictures of the items, so the items actually stay inside the Dragon capsule. We cannot ask astronauts to make pictures of the items for two reasons. First of all, because it's so expensive. I mean, the astronaut time is so expensive. It's roughly today to send like a kilogram to the ISS. It's roughly $15,000 for NASA. Plus, you have all the ad additional costs for the company you're working with that will integrate the payload inside the Dragon capsule. So it's usually around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a kilogram. So it's pretty expensive. But if you want to have astronaut time, it is way, way, way more expensive. So that's the, that's the problem we have. So no, unfortunately, Raphael, uh, we cannot take out the items from the Dragon capsule. They stay in the capsule. They stay one month around to the ISS. They do like a 16, uh, you know, like they go around the world 16 times a day and then they splash down in, uh, once, the, once the mission is finished. Even if they don't go to the ISS, I, I would imagine that security protocols must be pretty strict around this because, I mean, you know, like a bad actor could, of course, in theory, try to send something dangerous up there. Is that so? Am I right in imagining that? Is there, I imagine it takes a certain lead time as well for these items to be cleared. You're totally right on that aspect. It is one of the most complicated aspects of uh, our activity is basically all the clearance we have to get and all like the rules we have to follow and the fact that we have to, you know, like, I mean, basically, if you want to send stuff to the ISS, first of all, you have to go uh, with another company that is not NASA because uh, I remind you that NASA is a public company. It's a public agency. They cannot do directly business. So you have to go through another company with which you can do business and issue Usually it will take six, eight months, maybe a year to just have, you know, the right to get in touch with the right people at NASA and to start, you know, asking for all the right authorization, et cetera, et cetera. So basically it takes six months to a year to get clearance for a mission. You have to do that every time you want to go on a new mission. So we are flying our first payload. So the space flown items you've seen on our websites are actually like, you know, they're, they're for sale now, but they will be uh, accessible and available at the end of the month of December. Basically, our first launch is taking place in like a week or 10 days. Uh, it's on CRS-21. We are flying from Cape Canaveral, Florida, and we will be flying with Falcon 9 inside the Dragon capsule. So it will be, it will be firing. It will be launched on the 5th of December. That's the dates at the moment. And uh, we're sending one kilogram and we're already trying to book flights for Series 22 and Series 23. And we're right now having problems 
because it takes so much time. So we have to give all the specification about stuff we're sending, like the number of items, what is on the item, um, what is the composition of the item. So we're sending postcards. We need to give, you know, the paper density, the paper mass, uh, the paper size. We're sending patches. So again, all the fibers that we are using for the patch we need to give, etc., etc. Plus, you also have to be careful not either to send something that could put NASA at risk. Like you can't send any hateful content, any pornographic content, any content that goes, that is political or that is religious. And finally, and that was, uh, you know, we were kind of scared about that. Like uh, lately with my partner, Sebastian, uh, I talked about him earlier, but we sent the first postcard we sent you could really see, but it was so tiny. I mean, the postcards we're sending are quite small uh, because we want to fit inside the, the, the CubeSat uh, size. So basically our postcards are 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters uh, so that we can, you know, fit in the CubeSat size. But on the small postcards, you could see like the little uh, NASA worm logo, you know, the meatball logo and the worm logo. Yep. And, and actually at the, at the very, 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 very end of all the processes, when we thought everything was great for launch, they actually asked us to remove those postcards because they're not, you're not allowed when you're a company that is not you know, approved by NASA or working with NASA to use their logo on any commercial or public announcement or public publicity, anything. You cannot use NASA's logo. You're not allowed to mm -hmm. use NASA's logo. So basically, even though those pictures were free to use, you know, it's Creative Commons and Flickr. You can find so many of them. There's great pictures. Uh, I recommend all your listeners to go check out uh, NASA's uh, Commons on Flickr. It's great. I mean, you can have access to all the greatest pictures of uh, uh, the history of outer space. So it's great. But... When you're sending one of those pictures to outer space, it cannot have the NASA logo on it. It's pretty hard to work with NASA on those aspects. They're really, really lawful, and they really make sure that everything is respected. Yeah, I have to, I have to make a facetious comment at this point in time, because uh, it's funny they sort of find and ask you to remove the postcards with the NASA logo. And of course, as we all know, water bears have been sent to the moon. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I guess there's a certain level of checks that are going on, which actually, are you, would you be allowed to send up biological material? Well, actually, we've not asked that question. Uh, well, I know, of course, uh, so many people are doing. I believe Nanorax is doing it. I believe there's another company called Space Tango. They're doing it too. I believe we would have the rights, but I don't know since our commercial object is not to actually make biological stuff. We're only a company that sells like inert items, but I believe yeah. we would have the rights. We would have the rights. I don't know for your listeners if your listeners know about that story, but you know that in 1968, uh, we had an important uh, moon mission called Apollo 8. By Christmas Eve, uh, the three uh, astronauts that were inside the uh, Apollo capsule, you know, they talked about the Genesis, about the Bible. You know that story, yes? Yeah. Sure, they read the, and, the beginning of the Bible, basically. Yeah, Exactly. Did you know that someone actually sued them for doing that? And somebody in the U.S. actually sued NASA for doing that? Because NASA is meant to be a like, you know, it's a non-religious organization. And actually, they got sued about that uh, aspect of things. And in NASA, it's a really famous known story. And now... Everything that, and also for people who don't know, but actually Buzz Aldrin, Dr. Buzz Aldrin, that we met both uh, Rafael and I at sure. IS, ISU two years ago, uh, you know, he, he made a little mass, you know, when he, he, yes, he, he, he touched down surface. on the moon. Yes. Yep. 
exactly. But you know that since that time, since 1968, NASA is really, really, like, really careful about all the religious aspects. So just uh, to, to let you know, guys, that uh, if you want to send something that is, you know, like religious or anything, it's pretty complicated. Pretty complicated. Understood. Uh, this, the space lawyer in you is coming out, by the way, and we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, you, were, you started mentioning sort of the costs and how much it actually costs to send a kilogram to the ISS. But if I understood correctly, you were talking actually about the actual cost to NASA. But so if I want to fly, if somebody wants to fly something with you guys, so what, what is the price to the end customer? Well, basically, we're offering quite a few prices. I'm speaking there in euros and in dollars because it's roughly the same price, but it starts at $200. We're offering to fly, for example, any stickers for $200 that have flown to outer space. We're also offering to fly like patches for a little more, like 250 to 300, depending on what mission the patch will be flying on. And basically, it starts at 400. We're selling like postcards for $400. So basically, for $400, you can buy a postcard that has flown to the ISS or on a suborbital flight. You can get a picture of yourself. Uh, you can download your picture on the website, and your picture will be flying to the ISS. This costs $500. And then, uh, basically, we're calculating the cost depending on the mass. So for example, if you want to send 500 grams to either the ISS or just simply in a suborbital flights, it might cost, you know, around like $2,000, etc., etc. The price goes up according to the mass you want to send if it's a personal object. And um, once the mission is completed, basically you will receive home your space flown objects, Uh, so either a sticker, a patch, a photo, or I don't know, you know, any, anything like a postcard or any personal object you want. And you will also receive with that item two uh, patches of the mission, three stickers and uh, certificates authentifying that the flight has been, has, go has gone to outer space, etc., etc. You know, like some kind of, a, uh, you know, certificates mentioning that all the mission went well, all the parameters of the mission, etc., etc. Is there some sort of, um, I mean, I understand you're not allowed to take pictures and the ISS, but sort of like when it's packed into Dragon Capsule, like, are you able to kind of take the picture and say, oh, look, the, our package is over here or something like that? Yes, yes. Thank you, Raphael. We actually have been doing that. We have a few pictures. Um, we had uh, had quite a few people talking about our activity back here in France. We had had a few articles written about Tucan Space. And uh, actually, you, they, in, in one of the articles, you can see someone integrating our payloads, preparing it for uh, its fly. But um, yes, you can actually have pictures of the items that are inside the, the Dragon capsule. And we are also mentioned on the, on the payload manifest of the launch vehicle. And um, what the people that I'm working with told me is that NASA might be uh, doing a little publicity for a company. They actually told us, and that was pretty funny, the idea of sending stuff to space is not something I had thought for a long time. It actually was uh, the result of um, two events. The first one was when I was in uh, AIC um, in Washington, D.C. in 2019, in October 2019, International mm -hmm. Astronomical Congress. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. for that event. Mm -hmm. And so that's, was I. that. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. And so were so many people of ISU that had done ISU uh, in, the, in the summer. And um, so there I met quite a few interesting people. So I met Jim Bridenstein, but, you know, just like uh, he was a guest star, et cetera, et cetera. But... I also met a few lawyers that are working, um, you know, with NASA on the, all the, the, the legal aspects and all the law aspects. And uh, I met um, notably uh, Rebecca Bresnik. Uh, I have met also Steve Mirmina. And um, 
I have actually been talking to those people about what we could do like commercially on, in space. And they actually told me that we could have that kind of activity going on inside the ISS. And since that moment, since that time, I have thought about sending stuff to the ISS. I've thought about how we could, you know, like democratize outer space. And um, as one of uh, French journalists told me, we really are some kind of new space company because I don't really come from the space background. I mean, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a scientist. I'm a lawyer. I've been doing my law studies both in the Paris and Panthéon Sorbonne. And recently I've been doing my PhD both in Georgetown University, Washington, D.C., plus Université Paris and Panthéon Sorbonne back in France. I don't come from the space background, but because I've been, you know, always fascinated about outer space and because I've been following what was happening on the legal aspects, came to the realization that we could actually, since 2019, do business uh, with NASA on the ISS. And I seized the opportunity. And uh, thanks to those people I met at AIC in Washington, D.C. in 2019, I was able to, you know, build that company and launch it pretty soon. Speaking of that, while you're giving us the background story, I came up with it. How did you come up with the name? Why is it, why is it Toucan Space? I, I really like, I really like <laughs> Toucans, but I also hope you're not going to try to send a Toucan up there and <laughs> shouldn't no. die. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, um, Toucan Space, for two reasons. The first one is that um, when you go to French Guiana, so basically you know that there are many many space sports today in the world. Uh, one of the most uh, dynamic one was uh, one of the most active one is uh, in French Guiana. It's in a small town called Kourou in the Guyane Francaise. Um, and um, there you can watch Soyuz launching, you can watch Vega uh, launches, and of course you can watch Ariane launches. And um, when you actually go to French Guiana to watch a launch, the place where you actually have to, to wait is called the Toucan Observatory. First of all, I like the idea that French spaceports had a place called Toucan. And then that's really like simple. After doing uh, AAC last year, uh, I went down in Florida to visit KSC, the Kennedy Space Center. So I went to visit the visitor complex. Uh, I went to visit all the things you could visit. And I was staying in a small town. I was not in Cape Canaveral. Actually, I was in Cape Canaveral, but I was also in a small town by Cape Canaveral that's called Cocoa. And uh, in Cocoa, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, Cocoa Beach, exactly. I was staying in Cocoa and I had a meeting with a a friend of mine that's called Rob Mueller that's working at NASA too. And um, we were actually having lunch on, on the beach and there were like some paintings of the toucan, you know, on the walls. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. There's a toucan here in Florida. I'm thinking also about the toucan in French Guiana. What about toucan space? So I actually went to check on all the websites if Toucan Space was, you know, free to be used, etc., etc. And I could use actually that name, and it was so cool. And recently, one of my friends also told me that we should make a mission that is called You Can Space, and you know, just play on the on the funny part that Toucan Space is almost like You Can Space. So, so that's, mm-hmm. that explains the name. Great. And so just to make that tangible, if somebody is one of the listeners uh, is now interested, hopefully, to send some stuff up in space, they can just go to your website and there's an interface where they can book the whole process? Exactly. So basically, everything is on tokenspace.com. We are also on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You can find videos there. You can find the patches we're sending in outer space, some of the postcards we're sending in outer space. You can check out our event Space Arts that will be taking place in spring 2021. So basically, if anyone wants to send their stuff in outer space, they go on the, our website, tokenspace.com, and there's everything is explained, so it's pretty easy to proceed. I'd like also to mention that uh, our first flight so is flying with TRS-21. In like a few weeks, it will be flying on the 5th of December. So uh, there will be also stuff coming back from outer space 
uh, at the end of uh, the month of December because the mission is taking one month. So if people want to buy stuff for Christmas, they can do it right away. And uh, you, can, you know, they can already like book and, uh, you know, like reserve their uh, items that will be flying in outer space during the month of December and have it delivered back to their house at the beginning of the month of January. So uh, we're also open for, you know, customers that would like to buy uh, space run items that will be flying in a few days from uh, Cape Canaveral. You know, it's funny, we were mentioning Christmas. I forgot to ask uh, Nicola Goldman and I forgot it in the end. But if it would be possible if I was like a really nice person just to send some Christmas presents to the astronauts on the ISS. But I think you just answered my question that actually would be difficult because of the additional cost involved and everything else. <laughs> it would. Actually, it would be a good idea. Uh, one of the first ideas I had is how could we like connect uh, astronauts you know, to uh, people that are on, on Earth? And the idea was actually, could we send postcards? Could, could we send presents to the astronauts? But it, it's actually a good idea. I'm going to think about that, Raphael. Thanks, thanks to you. I'm going I'm to maybe, you know, like rethink the idea but it would be actually quite cool if you know like normal people like us who are not like superhumans like astronaut people could just you know send you know maybe some messages or you know have some kind of chat i know sometimes they organize you know like uh, they have call between uh, the iss and like primary schools and like uh, around the world to uh, basically to uh, sensibilize people on outer space but it would be pretty cool to actually make a service that could allow you to, you know, send your thoughts to astronauts and like encourage them and uh, pass them good messages when it's their birthday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That would be pretty cool. Just delving a little bit into the, into the operational detail. When you book these missions, uh, for example, to the ISS, do you speak directly to SpaceX or do you use like some intermediary, like one of those mission as a service type companies who takes care of everything for you? Actually, we're not directly in contact with SpaceX. I was directly in contact with NASA, though. Uh, I will always remember I was uh, again in the southwest of France. This was during the first lockdown uh, during, I believe it was in March or was it in April? Uh, and I received a call. So, you know, an American called, uh, I'm, I'm on my iPhone and you see the Washington DC and you're like, whoa, who is calling me from Washington DC? I thought at the beginning it was Georgetown. So I answered, hey, et cetera, et cetera. I'm Louis. Uh, how can I help you? And it was actually NASA calling me from the headquarters. And I was, you know, like pretty shocked, you know, I was doing spaghetti in my kitchen and it was pretty late at night. It was like maybe 9 p.m. or whatever. And I was making spaghetti and, and you know, you were, you're receiving that call from NASA. So I was so overexcited. That was the greatest uh, moment. So actually, I'm in contact directly with NASA, but for all the integration process, we're in contact with many companies. And I was telling you about, uh, you know, we had to reschedule our interview because uh, last week I was speaking with Japan. And for example, with Japan, we might be working with JAXA, plus also another company that's called Space BD uh, that might help us uh, to do that. And um, if you want a pretty fun news, Raphael, for Tukan Space, uh, I'm really happy to uh, announce that actually we will be flying with Japan too at the end of 2021. So there will be a mission in December 2021, where we will be flying the uh, International sure. Space Station. And that is pretty fun. And there might be astronauts taking your stuff this time. For the first time of Toucan Space history, the item will actually be exposed outside the ISS. We're flying in December from Japan. The HTV transfer vehicle will dock with the ISS. Some astronaut might take our stuff and actually put it inside a little box that is actually outside the ISS. 
So all our items, our postcards, our patches, our stickers, our bookmarks will actually be flying really in the vacuum of space. And that is pretty cool. And uh, I'm in negotiation right now with Japan to make sure that this mission will go uh, off pretty well and will, uh, you know, fly pretty well. So that's pretty cool. So yes, we are not directly in contact with the launch companies. We are in contact with the space agencies and intermediate companies that work with the commercial branches, if you will, uh, of those uh, space agencies. Okay, so that's cool. So you've gone from inside the capsule to outside the ISS. Um, what about the next step? What, what, yes. what, what about going to the moon? Thank you, Rafael. Basically, there are two next steps. The first one would be to actually go on the moon. And uh, our contact in the US told us that we would maybe go for a mission in 2024, either with Artemis. There's also a mission of a company called Astrobotic. I don't know if you've heard sure, about that company. Mm -hmm. They are part of the uh, commercial lunar, lunar payload services, CLPS. For now, basically, Tukum Space is flying with CRS, but uh, we might be flying with CLPS in the uh, upcoming uh, months, upcoming years. So uh, I was really, really excited when actually my contact in the US proposed, I mean, asked me if I wanted to fly uh, to the moon. So we might be flying to the moon by the mid-2020s. And also, and uh, I can't tell you uh, more about that because uh, it's a little secret at the moment, But we're working, and that's the idea, with all the money we are, we are hoping to make with Tukin Space, um, we would like to actually have a, a small satellite that we would send in, the outer, in outer space in low Earth orbits. And the idea for that satellite would be to equip it with some kind of screen where we could actually make advertisements and publicity directly in orbit. So that's pretty fun. It's not about, you know, there, there, there was that uh, project of actually using CubeSats to make um, advertisement that would be seen from Earth. It's not that project. Our project at the moment, but we're not sure if we're going to make it, and, uh, you know, we're talking about that at the moment, would be to actually have a one new CubeSat with a small screen on it, which would actually, you know, like put like some ads and some pictures, etc., etc. And there would be also a small camera that would take the picture of the ad with the earth in the background. So we're thinking about that too at the moment. Yeah, that's that's an interesting project. There was a group, I forgot the name, there was a group and sort of a, a really early stage startup in the US of three university students were looking at that. But I think that is, you're right, that is something logical that one expects should happen in the in the near future. But so coming back from the moon to the other extreme, so for the suborbital sub flights, which are obviously much, much simpler than orbital flights. So I assume obviously the price is going to be much lower. And I'm just curious, who are some of your launch partners for, for the suborbital Flats. So we're working uh, mainly with two launch uh, providers, a company that's called uh, Up Aerospace in the US. And uh, we are also working with a company in Sweden. I forgot their name. It's a, it's a really famous, I mean, universities launch from Sweden. Uh, ESA launches from Sweden with those sounding rockets. It's, um, oh, I, for, I, I forgot the name. I have hit on the tip no of my tongue. But, uh, and uh, basically, we're working with those companies. It's much, much, much more easy to launch stuff with uh, suborbital flights. Basically, for the ISS, again, for our listeners, it's like six months to a year. It's really, really, really controlled. There are many laws to respect. We can't send anything we want. We have to respect all the policy, NASA's policies, etc. It takes a long time. It's expensive. But on suborbital flights, it's much more easy. I mean, you can, you know, just, you know, uh, like call them like a few months uh, before the fly. You can fly more like uh, stuff for a, a price that is cheaper. So it's really cool to launch with suborbital flights. The problem is uh, it's much more dangerous too. I mean, uh, sounding rockets, they have the tendency to sometimes ex explode in outer space, explode during launch. One company with which we are working with that is called um, Exos uh, Aerospace. For, the, for example, for their last launch 
the rocket didn't work. So uh, we actually booked on their next launch, but we're hoping that the, you know, that the launch will go well. So it's, uh, it's pretty dangerous to work with suborbital companies that are starting because we don't know if the suborbital flights are going to be, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, well done, etc., etc. There are much more risks, let's say, on uh, all the suborbital flights. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, so it's one thing, it's like you said, space is, is difficult, no matter what people say. It continues to be difficult. I mean, we just had a Vega European of rocket. Of course. Basically, uh, had, yes. had, a, had, a, had a malfunction. So it's one thing if I sent a sticker, right? But let's say I'm, I'm this guy, you know, I'm a wealthy guy. I'm sending like a million dollar engagement ring up there. Is that insured by you guys? Do I have to take out insurance? How does that work? Well, that's a really interesting question you're asking, Raphael. It's um, one of the, the points I've been working for my PhD thesis in space law. You have to know that today, because um, outer space activities are still pretty dangerous and still pretty new, you have many legal instruments that actually disable you to uh, prosecute the person if the, the launch uh, explodes or if the, if the rocket explodes, etc. Et you have what's called a cross waiver of liability. And the idea is it's actually you taking the risk if you send something to outer space. So basically, I'll give you an easy example. If I send something that costs $1 million on the uh, ISS with the Falcon 9 rockets, if it explodes... I cannot sue Falcon 9, I cannot sue NASA, I cannot sue SpaceX to have my money back. That's why many, many, many launch companies today and many, many satellite operators, they have insurances. But basically, when you're launching something to outer space, it is usually in all the contracts, in really the, the vast majority of the contracts I've seen, you have cross waivers of liability, which basically disable any prosecution. I mean, if the, the, if the rocket explodes, you cannot ask for the money of the, the value of the, the, the stuff that was on the rocket. I hope this was clear. When you send something to space, you know, it's you taking the risk. That is why usually ask people not to send stuff that will cost more than $1,000. Because if they send stuff, for example, that costs, I don't know, a million dollars, like, like, like you said, a piece of jewelry that costs a million dollars, if the rocket explodes, we won't be able, because of cross-waiver of liabilities, to pay them back. Understood. And so you, you kind of made a nice segue there into the, the, the legal part of your career. And again, congratulations on your PhD. So why don't we finish up on that with a couple of questions. What was the topic of your PhD thesis? Well, thank you, uh, Raphael. Um, basically, at the beginning, I wanted to work on all, you know, the uh, asteroid uh, prospects and all the lawfulness of, uh, you know, like space uh, resources activities and all. Is it legal to go and mine an asteroid and all? It's a really big topic today in space law. Kind of everyone's working on that topic. But um, I actually, after thinking about that subject, I actually moved to another subject that is, uh, I believe, a really, really important subject for the upcoming years in the new space activities. I have been doing my PhD thesis on on-orbit servicing activities. So basically, I've been working on all the aspects of on-orbit activities. So, for example, when you have two satellites that, uh, you know, are connected together and uh, are, you know, doing work on together, all the legal aspects of those activities. Also, I've been working on the space debris uh, kind of aspects of the situation. And I also have been working on all, you know, the new space activities kind of, you know, like when, uh, again, two satellites are together, what they can do, what they cannot do, what are the rules, what are the legal aspects of those activities. And um, my PhD thesis was actually, um, I was helped during my studies by uh, Georgetown University professor Christopher Johnson, 
who helped me quite a lot. Uh, I believe you know Christopher Johnson, Raphael, because uh, he came to ISU sure. uh, in, two, in 2019. Chris. Yeah, that's great. So uh, Chris was a, a, was a, a really precious help for my PhD thesis. Uh, he helped me during my plan. He helped me put me in contact with people uh, that work in the industry and that work on on-orbit services. And I was also helped by someone I believe you know too, that is called Philippe Claire, Mr. Space Law. Tanya likes to call him Mr. French Space Law. Came to ISU in 2019. He's a French person, so Philippe Claire, and he works at CNES. And he was the guy in charge of, uh, you know, building the 2008 uh, French Space Law called LOS. Sur les opérations spatiales. So uh, I was helped by those two people during my PhD thesis. Actually, my work was divided into two parts. The first one was to uh, ask myself, were there enough laws today to enable on-orbit servicing activities? And the second part of my thesis was more about what would be those activities and how could the law could frame them and how could the law could, you know, protect those activities. So uh, it was a pretty hard job. I mean, uh, I've been spending a, a lot of time of that on, on this PhD thesis, but uh, now it's finished and I, I'm pretty happy with the results and uh, it's freely accessible on the web. It's in French, of course, but um, it was a really, really good experience for me. Yeah, and I realized I, I must soon have a space law-focused episode because there's just so much to talk about now, like the things you mentioned, like the, the on-orbit, uh, the various liability questions uh, in orbit and beyond, the art of Accords, um, that whole thing that was in the Starlink terms of service where Elon basically saying that Mars is a free planet. But sadly, we won't have time to delve into this on this episode. So by the way, it's your PhD. It's now all done. You've been through the oral examination and everything has been accepted. You're 100% done. Yeah, I am 100% done. I'm Dr. Louis de Guillaume-Matillon uh, uh, since uh, the end of the month of October. <laughs> but, uh, so again, congratulations. And so that's why I'm asking. So Dr. Uh, Louis de Guillaume-Matillon, final question that we always ask, do you like science fiction and if yes, what do you like? And this could be books, TV series, movies, anything. I love science fiction. And I don't know who said on the previous podcast you made, someone said, I'm not really a fan of science fiction. I actually love science fiction. I think it's the best because it makes your mind, you know, think bigger and, and, and think deeper in, in the future. And I love that. Say I have maybe two shows, two movies that I have loved. Uh, the first one actually changed my life. Uh, of course, it's the one everyone knows. So not, re not really new about that story. It's called Interstellar. Of course, I was really moved before doing space. I was more into politics. If people check my name on internet, I've got a, you know, Wikipedia page. I've been going a lot on TVs. I was, you know, fighting for Europe because I believe in Europe a lot. I was mm -hmm. also helping minorities, etc. But it came a time when I saw Interstellar and because of that movie, I wanted to do space. And there's especially one moment that truly like changed my life. It's the moment when, you know, the team goes on the, on the planet with the big waves and when they come back, they see their buddy that, that has stayed in the capsule and the guy yeah. has aged like 30 years. Oh my God. When I saw that, I was really, really moved. And that was the best part of the movie, I believe. And um, I'll say that also I have really liked, I have really liked also Gravity, but that's a little easy. I've watched so many like space movies. Uh, I don't know if I say maybe I've liked Dune also a lot, which is not really a space movie, which is more a science fiction movie. Um, but yeah, I, I'll say I've, I've actually loved Interstellar and it has actually truly changed my life. So people that have not seen that movie Please stop everything you're doing at the moment and go check Interstellar right now. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a great movie. And um, it's, of course, it's great from the scientific point of view because they try to be very accurate, like you say, with the things like time dilation, um, 
and you know using the, the uh, relativity and and even the um how they portray the black hole i mean kip thorne from stanford was uh, the scientific advisor on that movie in case people don't know it's kind of funny actually you say because this is a very scientific movie and it's interesting that that got you into space whereas you mentioned your previous interest in politics because of course there is there is science fiction which does try to involve the political angle as well i mean arguably the expanse uh, touches of a course. lot on politics uh, foundation isaac asimov arguably of has course. politics in it so there's a few things there as well but Louis, um, thank you so much for being on the show. Best of luck with Toucan Space. You know, we, we love to see you flying more stuff. And um, and yeah, maybe we'll uh, have a future episode and talk about uh, space law as well. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much, Raphael, for your invitation. Thank you for your time. And uh, to all your listeners, sorry if I'm, for my uh, French English. I'm so sorry. And I uh, hope you guys won't get annoyed by my accent or anything. And uh, best of luck to you all, guys. Thanks so lot. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.